The following message, entitled, Encountering the Glorified Jesus, was given by Larry McCall on the 12th of July, 2015. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Well, I'm excited this morning because we have a guest speaker. He is a friend of mine, Larry McCall. He's here with his wife, Gladine, and they are from Winona Lake in the state of Indiana. And uh, I'm sure you've all heard of that. And um, it's actually, he told me, it's, it's, a, it's a town uh, community that's actually smaller than Indiana, so in, in our Indiana. So, uh, uh, so it's, although it's joined to another town that makes it larger. But anyway, um, Larry first got a hold of me, I don't know, 15 years ago? Is that what you told me? Uh, yeah, 15 years ago, because Larry has uh, family in the Catanning area, and so we hooked up and went to Haas's restaurant together, and um, Larry then spoke in our church eight years ago, and uh, so he was in the area this weekend, and he's graciously agreed to speak to us this morning, and I've I've uh, seen what he's going to speak on, and I'm really excited about it. Um, so I think it's really going to build us up in, and, and give us a view of Jesus that will just enhance our knowledge of Him and, and stir us for greater passion for Jesus and worship of Him. So Larry has been pastor of the same church since 1981. So, uh, yeah, that's... Um, and uh, so I really uh, respect you, Larry, for hanging in there in the same church for all those years. And uh, let's can we welcome Larry? Welcome, Larry. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Well, thank you, Pastor Mark. Um, he said, when he said he respected me for being in the same church since 1981, I had this flashback. I'm sure some of you have read the book, uh, When Sinners Say I Do. And uh, in that book, Dave uh, says, the more you get to know me, the more you respect my wife. Um, you know, and I think the more you get to know me, the more you respect the people of Christ's Covenant Church for uh, enduring me personally and in my ministry all these years. They're a very patient church. It's so good to be back with you here at Saving Grace, and uh, first time, other than a brief tour that Pastor Bob gave me uh, about four years ago, first time we've been able to be here in your building, especially on a, a Sunday. Uh, you know what, for you folks that have been in the church more than four years, this is even nicer than the warehouse, isn't it? <laughs> you have a lovely, <laughs> a lovely church home here to meet in, and uh, we appreciate so much your pastors, we appreciate so much the ministry this church has had here in this community over the years, and we just pray the Lord to continue to use this church to build you up in Christ and to give you a fruitful ministry here in Indiana and this part of Pennsylvania and around the world, even as we heard this morning, around the world. It's a wonderful privilege to be with you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray for us as we open God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your kindness to us and bringing us to this place Lord, for many of us here in this room, we're recipients of your sovereign grace. You called us out of darkness into light. You've transferred us from the kingdom of the evil one to the kingdom of the son you love. And we're here today as worshipers. We're here today as learners. And we would ask for your present powerful spirit 
to work on us individually and as a body of believers, that we might leave this place today changed people, that our estimation of your Son, Jesus Christ, would be higher than it was when we came in because we've been exposed to your Word and the Holy Spirit's application of your Word in our life. Lord, thank you for what you've done in this church over the years since those early days, 30-some years ago. Uh, You've continued to build this church up and to use it here in this community and with the students at IUP, Lord, and even impacting people around the world through music and sending out missionaries, Lord, you are kind beyond imagination. Lord, we do pray for their future, that you would just continue to increase their fruitfulness to build this body together around your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us your Word, the Bible. And I would pray now that as we open your Word, that your Spirit would impact us as your church. So come, have your way with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The old man had stood strong. The government official had pressed him. And in my imagination, I can almost hear it. I can almost hear this government official pushing this old man and saying, Say it, old man, say it. Caesar est dominus et Deus. Say it, old man. Caesar is Lord and God. But the old man had stood strong. He refused. He would not dishonor his Lord. His God, Jesus Christ, by such a compromise. And now he was suffering for his quiet but courageous stand for Christ. He had been exiled. He had been exiled to this overgrown rock, this Alcatraz of the Roman Empire, the island of Patmos, just a short distance off the coast of what we know today is Turkey. I've tried to imagine what it would have been like to be in the Apostle John Sandals, exiled from the people we loved. As Christians, we receive such encouragement from being around the brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? We we enjoy being together. But now as an old man, he had been banished, exiled, away from the people he loved. He was a man, I'm sure, who found great joy in ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ. But now in his banishment, he was alone, away from the ministry that he had enjoyed for decades. And although I don't know, I can't prove it, I've wondered if he was made to work in the rock quarries with the other political prisoners there on Patmos, even though now he would have been nearing 90 years old. It would have been a very difficult time for this old man, this Apostle John, I'm sure there were days when he quizzed himself, had he done the right thing? Had he done the right thing by not going along, by not caving into the pressure from the government? Had he done the right thing by sticking with Christ as his Savior, as his Lord and God? Life would have been easier if he would have just compromised. Life would have been easier if he would have just gone along. And then one Sunday, A day like today. One Sunday, something totally unexpected happened. Something so encouraging, so faith-bolstering. Join me, if you will, please, in the first chapter of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, 
And we're going to spend our time this morning in verses 9 through 20. And as you turn there, let me speak for all of us, even though I only know a few of you as a fellow human being, as a fellow Christian, I think I can speak with integrity to say that um, as we just live everyday life, as you go about your typical day tomorrow, Monday, and then Tuesday, then Wednesday, as, as we just go through our typical day, the typical week that you live and I live, isn't it easy to get distracted? It's easy to get distracted in life, isn't it? We can get so focused on the temporal. We get, temporal, we get focused on temporal things. Things that are passing away. We can get so consumed with temporal activities. Activities that, quite frankly, aren't going to matter ten years from now, let alone in eternity. We can get so distracted. And I think I can speak for most of us, if not all of us, that not only can we get distracted as we go through life day by day, but we can also get discouraged. We, we all face personal issues personal struggles. There's family issues. Some of you came this morning with your hearts and minds aching over family issues. Maybe a wayward child or not getting along with your dad. Or maybe an illness, a life-threatening illness in your family. And for those of us who live in this nation, these can be discouraging days. For those of us that have crested the hill, <laughs> we know that um, in our lifetime, we have seen our nation exponentially jettison any sense of God, of God being real, of God being authoritative, that one day we'll give an account to God. We're living in a day where exponentially people are jettisoning that concept, that idea that there is a God and one day I will answer to Him. And we, we live in this culture. We live in this culture that is increasingly Godless. That either God doesn't exist or at least He doesn't matter. And as believers, as Christians, it can get discouraging to live in a culture that seems to be sliding away from God rapidly, picking up speed. What's going to keep us strong? What's going to keep us committed to Jesus Christ and His Gospel? To turn a deaf ear to the sirens of this world that call us, wanting to distract us. From the discouragements that can come personally or in our families or even culturally, nationally. I think we're going to find hope. I think we're going to find help today by looking at this passage. To see a man who, quite frankly, had it harder than most of us, if not all of us, here in this room. And yet he stood strong. He stood strong for Jesus Christ in the midst of discouraging times. What gave him that quiet, courageous resolve? Are you open to Revelation 1 now? What we're going to see in this passage, I know some of you are note takers, I encourage note taking. Um, if you're taking notes, this is what we're going to see. We're going to see the awesome glory of the living Christ. The awesome glory of the living Christ. We're going to see the amazing grace of the living Christ. We're going to see the astounding greatness of the living Christ. 
And then having seen Him in His glory, in His grace, in His greatness, we're going to stop and we're going to evaluate our own lives as Christians. We're going to evaluate our focus. We're going to evaluate our faith. What was John's encounter with the glorified Jesus Christ like? How does he describe the one he saw? I'm going to read this passage aloud with you in just a few minutes, but um, I want you to notice something about this passage. I I read this passage, and I reread this passage, and then I reread this passage, and and I notice something. John John uses a lot of similes in this passage. Do you remember eighth grade English class? No. Um, (laughs) There's one, yes. Any English teachers in the room? My my group apology to you. (laughs) A simile is using words like like and as. It's when we're trying to describe something. We're trying to describe something, maybe that's difficult to describe, so we'll say, well, we do this all the time. We say, well, it's kind of like, when we say, well, it's kind of like, or it's it's like, we're, we're using simile. It's similar to this. In this passage... The Apostle John, is, he's being called upon to describe the indescribable. He's being called upon to describe things that are difficult to find words for. And so you see him grabbing similes. I'm a word geek. My poor children, now in their 30s, grew up with a word geek, and now I'm doing it with our grandkids. <laughs> my, my seven-year-old grandson, grand, seven-year-old grandson asked me recently, he says, So, Papa, what's the word of the day? <laughs> I love that kid. (laughs) If the Apostle John would have had a thesaurus or a synonym finder, he would have been wearing out the pages. Where do I find words to describe what I just saw? And yet the Holy Spirit empowered him to write it down. He was commanded to write it down, and the Holy Spirit did give him words to as best a human can, to describe the indescribable. So if you'll grant me some elbow room this morning, I know we have some artists in this church. Pastor Mark's an artist. Some of the rest of you, professor at IUP is an artist, I heard. If you'll grant me some artistic license, if you'll grant me some elbow room to read this the way I could picture John saying it if he were here. It's my imagination. I, I want you to understand that up front. This is my imagination. But this is how I picture John saying it if he were here this morning. So listen as I read um, from Revelation chapter 1. I'll read verses 9 through 16 at this time. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos on account of, look at this, on account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's telling us why he was there. He was suffering for the Gospel. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet, saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like like a son of man 
clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were they 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 were white like like wool, like like snow. His eyes his his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet his feet were like 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 burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice his voice was it was like like the roar of many waters in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and, and his face his face it was it was like the sun shining in full strength John saw the awesome glory of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. How did he respond to that? How did John respond to seeing the glorified Jesus Christ? Look at the beginning of verse 17. He says, When I saw Him, I fell at His feet as though dead. He was totally overwhelmed. He he came unglued. He saw the glorified Jesus Christ and he just melted. He fell down as though dead. It reminds me so much of other passages in the Bible. One that comes to my mind, maybe it's coming to your mind right now as well, is Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, Isaiah writes, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. The train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. Answering one another antiphonally, Holy, 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 holy. The whole earth is full of His glory. The sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up that day, and he came unglued. Read the Gospel of John sometime. John says that what Isaiah saw was the pre-incarnate Christ. What Isaiah saw is what John is seeing. They're seeing the same one. The glorified Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you know something that captures my interest? The Apostle John was one of the closest friends of Jesus during his earthly ministry. One of his closest friends. Do you remember what John calls himself in his own Gospel? In the Gospel of John, John never names himself. He always refers himself to as what? The disciple Jesus loved. John saw himself as that one that Jesus loved. The night before the cross, there in the upper room, it was John, the disciple Jesus loved, who, who as they were reclining at table on their left elbows, it, it, was, it was John that leaned back on the chest of Jesus to speak to him. They, they were that close. So here's the same Jesus, here's this same John, who had been such good friends during that three, three and a half years of earthly ministry. And now this same John sees this same Jesus and his response is he's completely overwhelmed. He goes to pieces. He, he melts. 
why? Why the difference? Because now he's seeing the glorified Jesus Christ. He's seeing Jesus Christ with the glory he had before the foundation of the earth. He's seeing the pre-incarnate glory of Jesus Christ, now post-resurrection. He's seeing the glorified Jesus Christ, and he's overwhelmed. So you picture that out on the island of Patmos. He sees, by the Spirit, he sees the glorified Jesus Christ. He falls down as if he's dead. And now he's going to experience the amazing grace of the living Christ. Look at verse 17. He said, I I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, or don't be afraid. And you picture this awesome picture, you picture this glorified Jesus Christ and all of his phenomenal glory. John lying there on that stony ground as though dead, and Jesus walks over to him, (coughs) puts his hand on his shoulder and says, Don't be afraid. And Jesus is showing His amazing grace to His old friend John. He's reassuring him, it's okay, I'm here. And I think sometimes as believers, we need to remember little phrases like that in our Bibles. uh, Fear not, don't be afraid. The glorified Jesus Christ, even as we sang this morning, not only created everything, Excuse me. But I caught the phrase in that one song that he's sustaining everything. In other words, Jesus Christ is actively, currently keeping everything held together. This whole universe, even the parts that you and I haven't seen, will never see, are being sustained right now, this moment, this instant, because of the sustaining work of Jesus Christ. He's no absentee landlord. And yet even though he's running the whole universe, he cares about us as individuals. He cares about us as his sons and his daughters. And even though we see him as high and lifted up, he is also near. He's our gracious, loving Savior. And as we go through life, we need to remember that he not only can run the whole universe, but simultaneously he can, as it were, put his hand on our shoulders and say, Fear not. Don't be afraid. I care about you. And Jesus cared about his friend, the Apostle John, that day out on the island, and he cares about you as his child, his saved one, his son, his daughter. He cares about you. He cares about me. And he knows exactly what we're going through in life. And he he shows his amazing grace. The words fear not. Well, why wouldn't he be afraid? Why wouldn't John be afraid? Well, he's now going to see the astounding, astounding greatness of the living Lord. You see how Jesus describes himself. Look at verses 17 and 18. Fear not. He says, I am the first and the last. In the original language, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Or we would say in our alphabet, the A and the Z. Jesus makes some statements here in this conversation with John that clearly speak of divinity, that he's God. As you live here in this community, as you go to work, you go to school, you run into people sometimes who uh, resist the gospel and they'll want to argue with you and they'll say things like, well, Jesus never said he was God. 
Oh, yes, he did. <laughs> oh, yes, he did. And in fact, he said it many times. This is one of them. When he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, I'm the first and the last, it's a clear echo of Isaiah 48:12, when God says, Listen to me, O Jacob, Israel, whom I called. I am he. I am the first. I am the last. And Jesus is using words of divinity of himself. Jesus is truly God. He has absolute supremacy over all things, including the difficulties, the challenges, the discouragements that you face in your life personally, in your family, the discouragements we can face as local churches, the discouragements we can face in living in this increasingly godless society. He's Lord over all. He is supreme. He is sovereign. And he continues on in this two verses, and he says, I'm the living one. Jesus isn't some dead Savior. He says, I died, or I was dead. A reflection on His work on the cross. Amazing love, that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me. And then He says, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I was dead, now I'm alive. I'm so thankful that this church has a good history of Biblical teaching, gospel-centered biblical teaching. You've been taught well. Never take that for granted. Always thank God for His kindness to you and bringing you to a church that teaches the gospel in a Christ-centered, gospel-saturated way. It makes all the difference. A clear part of the gospel message is that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The resurrection separates Christianity from all other religions. We have a living Savior, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I I was dead. I did die on that cross to save my people from their sins. But now I'm alive forevermore. He killed death on the cross. He brought death its death blow on the cross. I love that phrase that Peter used in Acts 2 when he was preaching. He says, it was impossible for death to keep its grip on him. I love that. <laughs> you know, here, here's Jesus. He dies in our place. And you can picture, as you, as you can, that death itself is trying to keep Jesus in its grasp. Satan is hoping that Jesus is now defeated. And yet Jesus is Lord over death itself. And if there was some wrestling match, Jesus probably didn't even break out into a sweat. And He defeated death. He rose from the dead. It was, impo- it was impossible. People say, well, it's impossible for someone to rise from the dead. Oh, in Jesus' case, just the opposite. It was impossible for Him to stay dead. It was impossible for the Lord of life to stay dead. He rose from the dead. And then He says one more thing about Himself in this passage. If you look at verse 18, He says, he says something interesting. He says, I have the keys of death and Hades. Um, I've got some keys here in my hand. Uh, this one keys to our house. The other keys actually to our church building. <laughs> why, why don't you have the key to my house? Because it's not your house. I have the key to my house because it's my house. <laughs> why don't you have keys to my car? It's not your car, it's my car. <laughs> and you know what? I don't have keys to your car and I don't have keys to your house. Keys are a sign of ownership, a sign of authority. Jesus Christ said, I, I have the keys. I, I have the keys. 
He says, I have the keys over death and hell itself. He says, if I open the door, no one can keep it locked. If I lock the door, no one can open it. It's, it's a statement of authority over death and eternity. Jesus saying, I'm the Lord over all of those things too. His resurrection gave him that right. So we've seen in John's vision of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's review where we've been. He saw the awesome glory of the living Christ. The amazing grace of the living Christ. And now the astounding greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does that relate to you and me? How does what John saw out there on Patmos that Sunday relate to you and me this Sunday? Let me talk about our focus. As you go through life, as you just go through your normal life, what do you tend to focus on? If you're saying, I don't know, how do I evaluate? Well, let me just ask you a couple questions. What do you tend to think about a lot? What, what do you daydream about? Or if I were to ask your family and close friends, what do you tend to talk about? We, we tend to talk about what we think about. And so what you talk a lot about probably reveals about what you think a lot about. It tells us a lot about your focus in life. Some of us might tend to focus on our health, especially as we age. It's easy to happen, isn't it? We might focus on our financial status, either how well things are going or how bad things are going. We maybe spend a lot of time focused on our family struggles. Or we get pretty wrapped up with our reputations. What do people think of me? How many Facebook friends do I have? What are people saying about me? Does my boss like me? Do my coworkers like me? Do my fellow students like me? We can get pretty consumed with what people think about us, our reputation. We could get very focused on sports and hobbies. Am I meddling here in Steeler country? <laughs> oh, if, if it helps. Remember, I grew up in this area too. <laughs> we can get so consumed, so wrapped up, so focused on the political situation in our country. I, I hear Christians talking about the political situation a lot these days. And yet, even though there's all these things that can distract us, can distract our focus. I keep coming back to Hebrews chapter 12. I I love that opening paragraph of that chapter. It follows the great hall of faith. As the author of Hebrews begins chapter 12, he says, this is memorable. I love it in the NIV. I think the NIV translates it well. The author says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Think about that phrase. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus so we don't get discouraged, so we don't lose heart. I would encourage you as you go through life with all of its distractions and all of its discouragements that you intentionally, by the Spirit's empowerment, that you intentionally fix your eyes on Jesus. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I I not get distracted? How do I not lose heart? How do I not get discouraged? How do I fix my eyes on Jesus? I'm not going to stand up here and pretend I know all the answers to that question, but let me give you this recommendation. Spend plenty of time in God's Word. But not to read it just mechanistically, not just to read words. But I don't do this every morning, but a lot of mornings when I sit down with my Bible and my cup of coffee, um, 
I like to pray, Spirit, show me Christ today. Show me Christ today in Your Word. Right now I'm in the book of Esther in my personal reading time. You know, and, and pray, Lord, show me Christ in the book of Esther. The book of Esther doesn't even name God. <laughs> it's like, well, how's the Spirit going to do this? Well, He has. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you later. I won't take time to explain how the Spirit showed me Christ in the book of Esther. But you know, as you sit down with your Bibles and you say, I want, I want to focus on Christ in my life, and a good way I can orient my life, my mind, my heart, is to spend time every day in God's Word looking for Christ in the Word, whether I'm in Genesis or Revelation or somewhere in between, that I would see Christ. If you pray, Holy Spirit, show me Christ today, do you realize we don't have to twist the Holy Spirit's arm to answer that prayer request? You don't have to convince Him that that's a good idea. You know, sometimes I think we forget just how willing, how wanting the Spirit is to show us Christ. The primary ministry of the Spirit is to remind us of Christ. And so if we pray with our Bibles open, on the table, on the desk, on our laps, and we say, Spirit, show me Christ today, it's as if the Spirit's saying, glad to. Thank you for asking, glad to. And the Holy Spirit will minister to you as a son, a daughter of the High King of Heaven. He'll minister to you in showing you Christ. And you'll begin to see Christ in the book of Esther or the book of Ezekiel, or the Gospel of Mark, or the Epistle to the Hebrews. He'll show you Christ. And then as you go through your day to meditate on Christ, um, our friend Jerry Bridges says, preach the Gospel to yourself every day. But I would, would want to amplify what Jerry says. Not only preach the Gospel to yourself every day, but Saving Grace Church, preach the Gospel to one another every day. So not only as individuals reflexively preaching the gospel to yourself, but to one another reciprocally, that as you live life together in the body of Christ, that you remind one another as you go through every day, remind one another of Christ. Share Christ with one another. Point one another to Christ. That we would focus on Him. We talk about our focus. Let's talk about our faith. What are you counting on? What, what are you counting on as you go through everyday life? Sometimes I hear people say something like this. They say, well, as long as I have my blank, I'll be okay. In our culture, you know how people often answer that question? You can say it out loud if you want. As long as I have my... You're not too sure what to say, are you? As long as I have my health. That's the one I hear most often. As long as I have my health, I'll be okay. As long as I can keep my mind find my mind, <laughs> I'll be okay. As long as I can keep my job in these uncertain economic times, I'll be okay. As long as I can stay in my own home, I'll be okay. As long as my kids follow the Lord, I'll be okay. As long as I have fill in the blank, I'll be okay. You realize anything we put in the blank other than Jesus Christ could be an idol of the heart. We're saying I'm counting on my health. I'm counting on my job. I'm counting on my sanity. I'm counting on my family. I'm counting on my home for life to be okay. John had everything taken away. He was banished, exiled to the Alcatraz of the day. 
And the Lord Christ said, look at me, John. Don't be afraid. Look at me, John. What did John see? Let's review quickly. He saw the Son of Man in his midst, in the midst of the churches. Isn't that an encouragement? That Jesus is among the lampstands. He's among our churches. He's here present with us. He says, like a Son of Man. That was the favorite term Jesus had of himself. But we can't miss the impact of that phrase, that, that title, that description. When Jesus describes himself as a son of man, that is a clear echo of the book of Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Let me just read it to you for sake of time. It says, Behold the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Here's a picture of God the Father, God the Son being presented to him. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Friends, excuse me. I hope this doesn't sound too unpatriotic, but don't put your confidence in our country. Put your confidence in the kingdom that will never pass away. Put your confidence in the dominion that's an everlasting dominion because the king of that dominion is none other than the everlasting Lord Jesus Christ Himself, the Son of Man. So when John says, I saw one like the Son of Man, he's describing that one prophesied in Daniel. It's the Lord Himself, Jesus Christ. When He saw Jesus Christ as that one with the white hair, white like wool, like snow, a depiction, if you will, of Jesus' infinite wisdom. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His voice like the roar of many waters. A reminder of the omniscience and the omnipotence of the glorified Jesus Christ that He's all-powerful and all-knowing. Out of His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, a picture of being the judge of all men. A couple Sundays ago, one of my fellow pastors was preaching at our own church, and uh, I appreciate so much his kind pastoring of the flock when he reminded our church that Jesus Christ is not only the judge, but he's the judge of judges. The Supreme Court doesn't have the final say, does it? Because we know the judge of judges. We know the one with the sharp two-edged sword. Jesus Christ is seen as the King of kings, Lord of lords, judge of judges. His face shining like the sun in its full strength, His glory. I think of what Paul describes Jesus like in 2 Corinthians 4 when he talks about the glory of God being seen in the face of Christ. Now, fellow Christian, isn't that encouraging? Isn't that reassuring? That when you and I go through this fallen world, this place that's not our ultimate home, this, I call it the era between the gardens. As we traverse this era between the gardens, the Garden of Eden that's passed and the paradise yet to be revealed, our living, resurrected, glorified Lord Jesus Christ rule and reigns. We don't need to get distracted. We can, by the Spirit's empowerment, focus on Him as we live normal everyday life. 
We can preach to ourselves the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can preach to one another the gospel of Jesus Christ. 